Part two, chapter three of Garcia Marino by Augustine Berth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The National Rising, eighteen fifty nine. It would be difficult to describe the exasperation of the people after the coup d'etat of the government against the chambers. Deputies and senators registered an indignant protest against the dissolution of Congress, declaring the new dictatorship illegal and unconstitutional. The Municipal Council of Quito equally protested against the abandonment of their capital and the transfer of the government to Guayaquil. These indignant remonstrances became known to all the people through the heroic devotion of the printer Valencia, who thus braved the wrath of the two despots, and soon felt the consequences of their fury. He and doctors Herrera and Mestanza were condemned to exile, and conveyed under a strong escort to the plain of Cunchichamba, where Valencia was tied to a tree and shot. Even the Democrats stigmatized this act of unwarrantable cruelty. One man after another, eminent for his virtues, talents, or bravery, was thrown into prison, and either exiled or murdered in cold blood. Garcia Moreno had the narrowest escape, and had only time to get on board a trading vessel bound for Peru. At last, the most influential men in the army felt that the moment was come when they must fight for their homes and country like the brave Indians of old. A tremendous earthquake on the 22nd of March added to the confusion and terror of the inhabitants. On the 4th of April, the troops, under the direction of General Maldonado, declared open war against the dictators. At eleven o'clock at night, Colonel Darquia, with twenty well-armed men, entered Robles's house, whom he found playing at cards with his friend Franco, and arrested him without anyone offering any resistance. Unhappily, however, Franco, who had escaped, came back, pistol in hand, and blew out Darquia's brains. Maldonado, instead of being at hand with his men, had encamped himself on a height, and hearing of the death of Darquia, he lost courage and entered into negotiations with Robles, so that the troops returned to their quarters, save five hundred of them, who took the opportunity to desert. This check only strengthened the hands of the tyrants. But all of a sudden news came of a popular insurrection in Quito. On January 1st, 1859, a troop of young men surrounded the barracks and found the military quite prepared to fraternize with them. Espinel, who was vice-governor, ran with some of his radicals to try and preach submission, but found himself powerless. The overthrow of the government was declared amidst wild cries of delight, and a provisional government was formed, consisting of three members, Garcia Moreno, Carrion, and Gomez de la Torre. The movement spread rapidly throughout the provinces, and very soon enthusiastic letters of approval arrived from all sides. Only Guayaquil and Cuenca remained with the two dictators, and this only because intimidated by their troops. A courier was dispatched to Garcia Moreno, telling him of his election, and imploring him to hasten to their aid. With incredible difficulties he managed to escape the ambuscades of his enemies, and arrived at Quito on the 1st of May, where he was received as a saviour, and instantly set to work to organise the revolt, and to influence the ardour of the patriots by the following thrilling words. Down with the tyrants, wherever they reign human intelligence is enchained, the laws violated, the nation martyred, and the republic on the brink of an abyss. A few days later, Garcia Moreno exchanged his pen for a sword. Robles was advancing with twelve or fifteen hundred men towards the capital, and a small band of volunteers hurried to meet him, who clamored for Garcia Moreno to lead them. He was not a soldier, 
but had been initiated into all the details of military service. Still, it required a courage like his own to go and meet disciplined troops, with a handful of men, badly armed and utterly undisciplined, who had been gathered together hastily to repel the enemy. On the 3rd of June he found Urbina encamped at Tambuco, in an admirable position, with a strong natural defense, while his poor recruits were in the open and exposed to every shot. The battle began at ten o'clock in the morning, and lasted till four in the evening. Garcia Moreno and his men showed prodigies of valor, but in vain. Their defeat was complete. The greater part of them were left dead on the battlefield. The survivors fled to the mountains, where they were tracked and hunted down by the enemy without mercy. In this terrible fight, Garcia Moreno showed a tenderness of heart equal to his bravery. Without the smallest concern for his personal safety, he flew from one wounded man to another, not being able to bear the idea of leaving any of these poor fellows to the tender mercies of Urbina's soldiery. When he felt at last that he must fly so as not to fall into the hands of the enemy, he found himself alone without a horse, his own having been killed under him, and exposed every moment to being captured by the hostile troops. At that moment, Colonel Ventimilla rode up, mounted on a good horse, who instantly jumped off and insisted on Garcia Moreno's taking it. No, exclaimed Garcia Moreno, what will you do if I leave you here? What does that matter? nobly replied the colonel. There are plenty of Ventimillas, and only one Garcia Moreno. After which, with a gesture which admitted of no reply, he forced Garcia Moreno to mount and to gallop from the spot. Footnote. Ignacio Ventimilla was President of the Republic from 1876 to 1881. Quantum mutatus abilo. A few days later he arrived at Quito with a few officers and soldiers who had escaped from the disaster of Tambuco. But this defeat, instead of discouraging the people, had only increased their patriotism. They received him with a ringing of bells and every demonstration of joy to show him that in spite of his defeat, they still looked upon him as the only saviour of their country. The moment, however, was most critical. In a conference with his colleagues, Garcia Marina was of opinion that, the creation of an army being impossible, they must have recourse to diplomacy. He proposed, therefore, to return to Peru, and obtain the cooperation of the President Castilla against Robles and Urbina. The provisional government, in the meantime, was to be transferred to Ibarra. This being agreed to, Garcia Marina started for Lima, but found that Castilla, though very courteous and civil, was unwilling to assist his unfortunate countrymen without a portion of the territory of Ecuador being ceded to Peru, an odious bargain to which no man of honor could accede. In despair at the failure of these negotiations, Garcia Marina resolved to address himself to the patriotism of General Franco, proposing to him to abandon the cause of these miserable dictators, and with his army to join the provisional government. He pointed out to him the terrible condition of Quito, which had again been occupied by Urbina, and tried to make him understand that continued civil war must be the result of the present state of things. Franco perfectly understood what Garcia Moreno wanted, but he had a secret plan of his own, which was to get rid of Urbina and Robles, and become himself the president of Ecuador. A month later, on the 21st of August, it was announced that in consequence of a convention between Castillo and Franco, the maritime provinces were determined to form a new government. Urbina and Robles hastened to Guaranda to find means to avert the blow, but they were about to lose a power which they had so long and so shamelessly abused. No sooner had Robles left the capital than the fresh revolution broke out. 
Carvajal, with his little army, had beaten the government troops at Ibarra, and was marching to the rescue of Quito. On the 4th of September, in consequence of fresh aggressions on the part of the governor, the population rose as one man. Armed with guns, stones, and sticks, the insurgents attacked the artillery barracks. Women threw sand and ashes at the eyes of the soldiers, who, yielding to numbers, were obliged to lay down their arms after a bloody struggle. A few days later, Carvajal arrived at Quito with his victorious troops, and the provisional government was once more re-established. The gates of the capital being thus closed to Urbina and Robles, they tried to take refuge in Guayaquil. But on the 6th of November, General Franco convoked the citizens of that town to a fresh election for the presidency. Without taking any account of the provinces of the interior, and in spite of the rule that a vote of this nature demanded an absolute majority, he contented himself with 161 votes against 160 spontaneously given to Garcia Moreno, and proclaimed himself the supreme chief of the Republic. Whilst this theatrical farce was going on, Urbina and Robles, caught between two fires, remained at Guaranda. It was impossible to make a step backwards without falling into the hands of the patriots of Quito, or a step forwards without encountering Franco's troops. Nothing remained to these two infamous men but to leave Ecuador as soon as possible. Robles took refuge in Chile, on board a vessel coming from Panama, where Urbina escaped on a French ship. The terrible tyranny they had exercised over their countrymen had lasted for eight years, but we shall see later on that they had by no means given up hope of a return to power. End of Part 2, Chapter 3